Isaiah chapter 12 and reading from verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Now we've come to the end of a section in the book of Isaiah with this chapter. And this section has been very clearly referring to the Messiah and his kingdom. We've learned about his virgin birth. We've learned about the, the, the son that was given, the child that was born. And we've seen some beautiful pictures of the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ already in these passages. In the coming weeks, God willing, we'll be thinking about some of the enemies of the Lord's people and how the Lord dealt with them. But here in chapter 12, the faithful prophet reassures the Lord's elect people of the Lord's promised mercy. And once again, we remind ourselves how that the remnant people, the elect of God, the remnant that would be saved, that would continue and maintain the promises all the way through to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were preserved, they were comforted, they were encouraged by the writings of the prophets during the years of their tribulation. So that these were preparatory uh, passages of scripture. These were messages that were given to them to prepare them for the difficulties that lay ahead. The prophet was reassuring God's people of the Lord's continuing mercy, of their assured deliverance by his strength and even we find in this short passage, this short chapter, the theme of the song that they will sing in praise and worship to God for the effectual accomplishment of Christ's salvation. Now I think there's something delightful about this. Here is Isaiah at the instigation of God the Holy Spirit 
preparing the Lord's remnant people for a period of trial and suffering. Because God is going to bring judgment on the wicked of the nation. But what does Isaiah say to the people? He points the Lord's little ones to the day of grace. That's what he's talking about when he says in the opening verse, in that day. He's pointing them to the day of grace. He's pointing them to the Messiah. He's pointing them to the Lord, their salvation. And he says to them, this is the song that you will sing when all these things shall come to pass and the promises of God have been accomplished. And just by way of introduction, I want to say that I find that a very interesting and engaging idea. That such is the degree of confident assurance provided for the Lord's people in this world that the words of their victory songs have already been written and communicated to them. Do you realise what is being said here? It's as if the Lord is saying, don't worry about anything. I've got it all in hand. I shall do all things well. And when I have done everything that I have promised to do, these are the words of the songs that you'll sing. Now, usually poets and musicians write their ballads after the event to commemorate the great victories that have been accomplished. The church has been given her hymns of praise in anticipation of the victories yet to come. And nor is this an isolated case. The Apostle John tells the church that they too will be singing in heaven. They will be singing the glory of our salvation so that it is of no uncertain outcome. This will not be our song if the captain of our salvation succeeds. It will be our song when he brings us to our eternal rest. Such is the certainty, such as the confidence, such as the assurance of our state and the promises of our God. It will be our song when we enter into our rest. And what is that song? John tells us, he says, that the church will sing to the Lord Jesus Christ, Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. So that this 
is the song, this is the theme, this is the praise that will ascend to our God. And our passage today in Isaiah chapter 12 is to the same effect. Isaiah is telling the people of his day, these centuries before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to look forward to the coming of Christ, to the day of victory, to the day of glory, to the day of grace. And he tells them that God has ordained success. God gives them grounds for confidence and God will comfort all who trust in him. So I've got three lessons that I want to leave with you today from Isaiah's ancient texts to these people. But I think that if we just pause and and, and dwell on them for a moment or two, we will see that there is a current application for these truths, which also should bless and encourage us. And the first one that I want to draw to your attention is uh, is to to be seen in the, the, the opening couple of verses of this little chapter, and it might be summarized in this sentence. There's comfort in salvation for the Lord's people. There's comfort in salvation for the Lord's people. Now, maybe you think that's pretty pretty straightforward and, 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 and obvious. It's what we talk about all the time in, in many ways. But I want our thoughts today to be very practical. And I'd like for us all to apply Isaiah's words to our own lives. The prophet is speaking of that day and we've learned already from his writings uh, that this directs the Lord's people to the day of Christ's crucifixion, to the day of his sacrifice specifically, or indeed more generally to the the gospel age. And Isaiah is saying that in that day, the church will say, Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. You see, it's in looking to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that the church of Jesus Christ is comforted. It is realising the significance and the implications. It is gathering, as it were, the strands of scriptural teaching together, the doctrines of the Word of God, from the Garden of Eden to the prophecies of John. It is gathering all of these disparate strands together and binding them all to see that the focus of our attention is the cross of Jesus Christ. And by that work on the cross, there is comfort to be had for the Lord's people. There is help. There is encouragement. There is blessing to be found. There is comfort for us because the anger of the Lord has been turned away. That felt 
condemnation that, that is, is, is in our souls under, under the weight of sin, we realise that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken our place and that the mercy and grace and goodness of God flows to us now because of our Saviour. And this is the personal testimony of the Lord's people. If you are one of the Lord's people, if you see and understand what happened in the cross, if you trust in, in, in the sacrifice of Christ and in the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is comfort in that for you in this life, in this world, day by day, in the moments, in the circumstances, in the challenges that you face, there is comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross that day. It would be hundreds of, probably 700 years of, of trouble and trial and, and persecution and separation that yet was to afflict the Lord Jesus Christ's people of the Old Testament before the Saviour came, before the Messiah was revealed. But throughout all that time, they were encouraged by Isaiah to be comforted in looking forward to the day of grace. And so to us as well, our personal testimony is that our comfort is drawn from what Christ has done for us on the cross. Perhaps these people had a sense of, of, of dread because of the, 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 the sin that they felt in their own souls. Perhaps they had a, a, a fear of God's anger. The Lord's people associate with this. We know what this is like. We know what that, that, that sense of dread is at our own unworthiness, at our own sin. We know that there is a stage, a, a, a period of blindness uh, when, when any hope of mercy, any concept of grace, any discovery of the love of God seems to be far away. It's as if we hear the raging of the law in our own conscience and we interpret that rage, that denunciation, that condemnation as the anger of God against our sin. But then we get a glimpse of that day of grace. Then the blindness and the deafness which, which separates us from the truth dissipates, it's removed. The barrenness that afflicts our souls is called into fertility and into life. There's a blossoming of spiritual understanding in our souls and we hear the gospel for the very first time and we see the Saviour in a new and fresh and lively way and we understand the meaning of his substitutionary atonement. And of Christ's death in our place. We see the way of salvation opened up. And wonder of wonders. What once seemed contrary to us. Foolishness to, to, to our benighted minds beneath us. As far as our proud spirits were concerned. Now appears as the very power of God and the wisdom of God. We hear the Saviour's gracious invitation 
to come unto me. And we say in the words of Isaiah, I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. God is my salvation. I don't suppose there's one listening to the service today who, who isn't familiar with uh, that phrase, that, that sentiment, that, that language. But I tell you this, on another day we might not have got any further than that amazing four-word phrase. God is my salvation. 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 I want us to notice that in that simple phrase is all the world of comfort for a sinner that has seen the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished. I want us to notice that the sinner's dread has become the believer's testimony. I will trust and not be afraid. This is for us. This is for you and for me. Not only for, not only for the Old Testament people that Isaiah preached to and declared to. Not only for the, the, the people that were alive at the time of Christ or the early apostolic church. It is for you and me today. Trust is faith. That's all it is. Faith is trust. Trust is faith. These words are synonymous. I believe. What we're saying is I believe Christ is the way of salvation. I believe God's anger is turned away. I believe God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. There's comfort here. For the Lord's people. And I know that some of you are facing trials at the moment. Some of you will soon die. Some of you are old and frail. Some of you are caring for those who are old and frail. But you can say, each one of us can say, who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is my salvation. Christ is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Do you feel weak? Christ is my strength. Do you feel afraid? You've got a new song. Christ is your song. Your hope, your confidence, your stronghold in the day of trouble. Christ holds us close. And he will not let us go. We often think about a, a stronghold as some fortress, some, some inanimate uh, 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 covering or, or defence. Well, I suppose in a sense that 
was the stronghold that was built by uh, men to protect themselves. But this stronghold is the grip of our Saviour as we are safely and securely located in the palm of his hand. So that's our first point. It's comfort in our salvation. But there's another thing that we learn from these delightful verses from Isaiah, and it is this, that there's joy as well. There's joy in drawing water from the wells of salvation. That's what Isaiah says in verse 3. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Shame on us if we are miserable Christians. We have no cause to be miserable. There is joy in drawing water from the wells of salvation. And, and these Old Testament people, these people that, that, that were under siege in their cities, that were expelled from their land, that saw their, their, their families destroyed, that, that, that were um, taken into captivity and, and exile uh, and thought they would never see their land again. As they held on to the promises of the written words of the prophets through the ages, through the centuries, and they looked forward to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of God's, God's promises, well, they were provided with a reason for joy. Against nature, when everything, when, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, they sang it because they had joy in drawing water from the wells of salvation. Water from the wells of salvation is a reference to God's grace. And the reference, I think, here is not so much to saving grace, although I trust there was an element, a degree of joy in our conversion, but, but rather the joy of drawing Grace from the wells of salvation is a, a picture of daily revival in a thirsty land for weary souls who find God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit to be wells of constant goodness and grace and mercy. Wells of salvation. And especially Christ, who is the fountainhead and source of all daily grace to his people. He is ongoing help to us. You see, that's the wonder of our relationship with Christ. It's not that we got saved 20 years ago or, or 40 years ago or, 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 or six months ago. And, and these things are, are something that are to do with our history and our past. Our relationship, the salvation that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ in that lively living relationship, this living water that springs up within us is his grace to us day by day. Ongoing help, soul refreshment, spiritual vitality for God's people. Water is life. Water 
is life in this world. But it is grace to the Lord's people. And grace is life to us day by day. And there is joy to be had in experiencing the grace of God day by day. Isaiah says, with joy shall ye draw water. Which, which I take literally to mean that we ought to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Why? Because faith receives grace. Faith receives grace and proves the goodness and kindness of our friend and our saviour, the King. I like the idea of the drawing of the water. It's like drawing uh, water in, in a bucket from a well. It takes, it takes effort to draw water from a well. It requires energy. It requires us to exercise ourselves. There, there, there is a, a, an engagement, there is an employment required in drawing water. But the thirst that the Lord gives us, by which we feel a need to drink at the wells of salvation, are trials sent to expose our weaknesses and bring us to the Lord, cause us to feel a need for him and to come to him for help. But we have this promise in our coming that he will supply grace sufficient to our need. And I like to think that the sufficiency of that grace is that there is a fulsome supply and a little bit left over. A little bit left over to warm our hearts and bring us joy. So that it's not only the solving of our problems, but it is the solving of them with a little bit of joy to season the experience. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us go to the wells of salvation with a boldness, knowing that as we draw therefrom, there is a joy to be had in the experience of the Lord's presence and the Lord's help. Let us come boldly. Let us draw freely. Let us drink deeply at the well and from the well of salvation that is Christ. Let us rejoice in the provision of sufficient grace day by day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. So there is comfort in salvation and there is joy in drawing from the wells of salvation. And the third thing that we notice here in these verses is that there is a worship to God and there is a witness to men. And we read about that in verses 4 to 6. Worship to God, witness to men. Isaiah calls the Lord's elect people to joyfully praise the perfections of Christ. 
and at the same time to call and engage others to do the same. Now we long to see men and women and boys and girls saved in this world. And it's a great kindness on the part of God that he commissions his church to represent him here in this world. We get the privilege of representing the Lord to our friends and to our families and to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Lord could have, the Lord could have designed things differently. He could have preached by angels or, or by uh, bringing men to, and, and women to himself by other means. But he did it like this and he employs the church in this great activity. We get to go and preach the gospel. But let me ask, what is it to preach the gospel? I dare say that it is not what we see going on in many churches today. It is not enticing proud men and women to do what is impossible. It's not teasing corrupt minds or God's implacable foes with false concepts and prospects. We don't play uh, to the will or to the uh, fallen flesh of men and women. We simply declare what the Lord has done. At least that's the gospel according to Isaiah. The prophet says, in that day, that is in the gospel day, the day that, that follows and flows from the, the work of Christ upon the cross, in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. That's evangelism. That, that's evangelism right there. Praising God, declaring the excellence of Christ. That is what lifting up our Saviour entails and comprises of. And the Lord Jesus Christ has said, I, if I be lifted up, shall draw all men unto me. So that declaring Christ, he will draw men and women to himself. We who are the Lord's people, we personally thank God for his great salvation and we are eager to tell others about what the Lord has done for us. We declare his doings among the people. That's what the prophet says. Declare his doings among the people, which we are happy to do. And someone might say, well, is anybody listening? Well, <laughs> that's God's business. That's God's business. We are to declare his doings among the people. That's all we're called to do. We can't save. 
We can't change, we can't convert. We couldn't do it for ourselves and we can't do it for others. We declare his doings among the people. And true worship is praising the Lord's perfections and commending the work of salvation to others. And Isaiah is very explicit about the method. He uses these words. This is his language. Call, declare, mention, sing, cry, shout. I take this simply to mean preaching the gospel of Christ's accomplishments and worshipping and bearing personal testimony to the things that we have seen and heard. And to my mind, Peter agrees entirely with that. He says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. The song of the Lord's people is the excellence of Christ. And Isaiah tells us that the Lord Jehovah has done excellent things. Hebrews tells us that Christ is an excellent name and an excellent ministry. His excellent name is the divine glory of his person. His excellent ministry is his wonderful works. You remember how the Pharisees criticised the Lord Jesus and the Lord's disciples for worshipping him. And the Saviour replied, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. May the Lord give us grace to speak about the Saviour, to tell out my soul the wonders of his grace. Just one final thought and then we're, we're done. In the previous chapter, Isaiah had said, The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And here in this little chapter, he tells us that the excellence of Christ is known in all the earth. These, these two strands are beautiful. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The excellence of Christ is known in all the earth. And remember Isaiah is speaking 700 years before the coming of Christ. And yet he has such an enlarged, expansive, worldwide testimony of what the accomplishments and the consequences of that day of Christ's sacrifice would accomplish. And I want to propose to you today that Isaiah's ancient prophecy is right up to date for this simple fact, that there's never been a time when the excellencies of Christ and the knowledge of the gospel truth is more widespread and widely known and accessible than it is today. Isaiah was speaking about here and now and today. Now we've got our technology and this technology that is available to us today in the providence and the wisdom of God 
means that our own little service here can literally be heard by anyone, anywhere. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The excellence of Christ is known in all the earth. We are part of the confirmation of the prophet's words. So whether it's speaking to our neighbour or broadcasting to the world, let our mission be to honour Christ by exalting his excellent name and declaring his excellent ministry. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us today. Amen.